Hello and welcome to The 100 Podcast. It's Anne Charlie here with you. Hope you're well. It is the morning after the big event. It was the 100 draft yesterday. All eight teams got an opportunity to bring in some fresh new talent. And there are some really, really interesting selections out there. And we're going to talk them through. We're going to go through team by team, look at each strategy. We're going to do it relatively quickly just get our initial thoughts because we'll have some hopefully really interesting long-form interviews and discussions coming up with some people who know a bit more behind the scenes which should be really cool but for now we'll just go through our initial thoughts just mere hours after hearing the picks charlie before we get team by team it was a very chaotic few hours Yes, it was. We were tweeting a hell of a lot. We were doing a hell of a lot of very, very quick analysis, a lot of very, very quick graphic work. But you know what? I think it was worth it. It was really fun. I think there are some really cool picks. I think there are some very questionable picks. But, you know, that's what the draft's all about. You know, the fun of it is seeing the weirdness. And by God, there's a lot of weirdness to dissect here. If there weren't any questionable picks, would it be the 100 draft? That's the question I'm asking. And, uh, Talking of questionable picks, let's start with the London Spirit's first overall selection of Corin Pollard. <laughs> let's be very clear. Corin Pollard's great. We love Corin Pollard, fantastic player, but this year he's not going to play. His availability is shocking. West Indies have a series, uh, I believe it's against New Zealand, throughout much of this. The CPL might take him away from the tournament. Corin Pollard here, Charlie... Seems like a very confusing decision when you know that Andre Russell is also available, probably a superior T20 player, and uh, he doesn't really bother turning up for West Indies outside the big tournaments. It's really odd, isn't it? I think they went from the Ryan first and then Oval right to match him back, which was always going to happen. So you'd think they would have had the backup in play, and surely that answer is Andre Russell. For me. I mean, he'd be my number one pick anyway. As you say, availability would be much better, plus it's Andre Russell. Pollard is a great player, but I think Russell was better anyway, if I'm honest with you. So, better player, better availability. Why did it not take him? I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, and frankly, I'd have probably gone with Andre Russell over Son or Naran. I get the Son or Naran thing. I think that would have been really useful for them. Um, obviously, they've got a young seam attack with lots of talent and quality, but having a gun spinner like Narine, who can bowl towards the back end of the innings, bowl the tough overs, really good against those big hitters, I think we're doing really useful. So I get going for that. He was never going to go there. But you may as well try and push the button. Like you, don't know, you don't know what the Oval Invincibles are going to be doing. So you may as well push the button and see what happens. Bit confused by the Pollard thing. He's a great player, but if he's not going to play for you, I don't see the logic, especially when Andre Russell was available. Obviously, they'll have been disappointed to miss out on the Ryan, but thankfully, England's answer to Son on the Ryan, Liam Dawson, was their selection at the end of round two. Now, now we've said in previous podcasts, Charlie, about how the draft's going to work. You are going to see some high picks go to domestic players, people will think they're reaches, big money for guys that probably aren't necessarily worth that money in open market. But given what the domestic pool was like and what the overseas player pool was like, we said it's probably going to happen. So what do you make of Liam Dawson at 125k for the spirit? I want to say I called this actually. We had a mock draft a couple of days ago and I did, I pulled this exact same move, London spirit. Yes. You look at 125k for, for Dawson and you think, hmm, bit too much for him and normally I would agree however given the dynamics of this draft I think you have to give your domestic players early so I don't think it's that bad a pick if I'm honest with you I think he'll complement Crane nicely he's a very versatile bowler he can bowl 
basically power play and all the middle overs. And he's a, a useful batter to have as well. He has a bit of depth there. Um, I think if you look at some of the other Florida farmers that have gone slightly later in draft, you could argue that there isn't a huge difference in quality, but there is quite a bit of difference in wage bracket. But mind this pick. I think it's fair enough. He also had some batting depth. And I know he's not been intentful enough over the years, but he did show a bit of that in the PSL. And I think also, I think he is just a very good power play operator on certain surfaces. And I think he has that added string to his bow, which is very, very helpful. Uh, you know, an experienced guy. I, I personally think he offers a lot. So I, I don't mind the selection. And ultimately, I think the debate would be, well, do you go for a seamer? But I think it, if you're looking for an overseas seamer, the value's in the next few rounds. So I understand why they went that way. And they did that in round five by taking Riley Meredith. I think the overseas seam pool was a little bit underwhelming this year. Meredith, probably the pick of the bunch when it comes to experienced T20 players. So especially with a young bowling, it's like, I get why they went down this route. Yeah, I get it. Like you say, there weren't particularly many huge names available in the overseas seam market. Maybe Joe Richardson was the one I would have wanted to take. He went unselected. But aside from him, Meredith is probably the pick of the Aussies with good availability. So yeah, it's fair enough. It's not the most inspiring pick ever, I'll be honest with you, but given what you have available, I, I think it makes sense. I think also the thing to talk about is that in drafts, you're not just looking at this season, you're looking at seasons beyond. And I think you look at Riley Meredith as a one-year rental, really, but you probably want to come in back for a big name overseas, SEMA. And next year's draft, Dawson drops down a, a couple of brackets for you and accepts a bit less money after a big payday this year. Maybe that's part of it. Um, and then you can get a Pat Cummins, Mitchell Stark, whoever it is next year, uh, Shaheen Sharafini, maybe, whoever it is next year has good availability, you can bring back in for Meredith. So on a one-year rental, I like it. And then that's an interesting point, actually, <laughs> briefly. Um, it's just I've just realized this just now, Charlie. Glenn Maxwell accepted a wage reduction from the London Spirit <laughs> to, move down, to move down one spot and give up 25k for Liam Dawson, who could have been picked the <laughs> Glenn Maxwell. Oh Glenn Maxwell has officially, and we talked about it before, Glenn Maxwell has officially given up £25,000 to buy Liam Dawson a new car. <laughs> well, listen, I'm sure Glenn Maxwell will be very, very happy to see Liam Dawson put a nice deposit down in his dream house. I'm sure he will absolutely love it. And look, I like Liam Dawson, but... <laughs> you made a very, very good Twitter thread about this, Ed, about saying why Glenn Maxwell has basically oh, given up 25 dear. grand for very little reason. And I think this is the absolute proof of why that's happened. Liam Dawson would have been arguably still an overpayment at 100k anyway. He would have so been. Think, it's the same. He, it's the next big. No one else could have taken him. This is the thing. They could have still got him there. He wouldn't have been priced out of any move because he had no reserve price. He could have gone at any point. Mm. I don't think he'd have gone for quite a while anyway. But it's very funny. Oh, it's very funny. I mean, I'm happy for you, Liam. I hope you, I hope you spend your money wisely. I, again, Liam Dawson deserves the bag. We love Liam Dawson. Do you think it's very funny that Glenn Maxwell has given up a lot of money for no reason? Uh, <laughs> Glenn, have a word with your agent, mate. Uh, round six, 
John Thompson is a guy that I thought might go a little bit earlier than that, actually. He's a really exciting player. I think he adds a point of difference, that batting lineup, who Owen Morgan is the only real left-hander there at the moment. Um, he adds a lot of aggression. There is some bowling upside there, which I don't think you can count on now, but might become a thing in the future. I think you are starting to put together a really explosive batting lineup. You've got Crawley and Lawrence who probably play a lot of test cricket, you know, more classical players, but then you've got Pollard, Maxwell, Morgan, Thompson. That's pretty powerful. That's exciting for the spirit. It's a really fun middle order, isn't it? I mean, assuming he's there, you've got Lawrence at three, Maxwell, Morgan, Pollard, again, assuming he's there. Jordan Thompson, Dawson Blow as well. That's really quite exciting as a middle order. I don't think there are going to be many better. Obviously, the question is actually getting them all together, mainly Pollard and Lawrence. If they don't play, then things look a little bit weaker for them. But in theory, if they're all playing, I'm all on board that. Yeah, and then in round nine and round 10, they pick up their final two players and Daniel Bell, Drummond and Chris Wood. I think with Crawley and Lawrence potentially playing some test cricket, it makes sense to bring in an opener. I'm not sure Daniel Beldrummond would have been that guy for me. I probably would have preferred Luke Wright, probably Joe Denley as well, who I'm really surprised went undrafted. I know he's not quite been the player he was recently, and it's been very underwhelming, but he's playing international cricket for England in T20 cricket two years ago. Obviously, a lot of leg spin. I don't think you can count out a player who has a very good record just from a couple of seasons. So I'd have probably gone Denley over Beldrummond personally but you know they they get a backup backup opening option um who might come in occasionally if needed probably a backup though and then i think chris wood also makes sense you've got that inexperienced seam attack of wheel and cullen so i think adding wood who's experienced he adds a point of difference as a left armor is good in the power play you know he might actually play and if you've got meredith wood and cullen as your starting point a wheel behind that i think that's good so yeah, I, I think the wood pick makes sense. The DBD one less so for me. Yeah, I think that's fair. I want to chuck in Joe Cracknell as well as another guy who I was yes. surprised to see go undrafted. He's another guy I would probably take over Bill Drummond. I like Bill Drummond, but he didn't particularly impress last season for Phoenix. He has a good blast record. I'm not entirely convinced if he's necessarily the answer here, but I think he's, I think he's fine. Overall, it's right. Overall, how are you feeling about this London Spirit draft? I think... Past the first pick, I feel relatively good about it. I don't think they've smashed it out of the park. Maybe I give it a B. I think that might be fair. I don't know if I'll feel better about it later, but the, the Pollard and DBD, they just don't quite fit for me. So I think a B for me. Yeah, I'm with you there. A B is fair. I think they could have done a little bit better. I think they also could have done quite a bit worse. It's a better team than last season. No question about it. So with that in mind, they've done all right, I think. Could have been worse. That's your strap line for the London Spirits (laughs) draft. Let's move on to the Welsh Fire. We talked about the Welsh Fire previously being in a terrible position and really needing to pull out of the bag. And frankly, I think they've done very well here. I actually put out an article. You can go find it on our Twitter page at Podcast 100 on my personal blog about how I would build the Welsh Fire. And they've done a pretty similar kind of uh, tactics to what I suggested. They picked up Joe Clark with a second overall pick. And then they write to match Tom Bounton, who I believe was originally picked by the Trent Rockets, stole him off. So instantly you get Clark and Bounton, the two best domestic players in the draft, which I think is a really good starting point. I want to Armad. They went with Adam Zamba, who has uh, guaranteed availability. So I think that makes sense. Uh, that's a really good start, Charlie. You get your two domestic guns and then you get a high-class leggy. So that's the kind of base they needed to set. 
100% in our preview, this was something we both agreed they should do. I think I was pretty sceptical that actually would do it, but they have. Against all of my fears, they have done it, and I think it was the correct move. That front three really couldn't have gone much better than them. Yeah, I, I don't really know what... Because I think you could potentially say, oh, would they take Hasaranga, but he's not going to play this year. He's got no availability. So Zampa, you know, is going to turn up and as much as you'd love Hasaranga in there, I think that makes a lot of sense for you. So I think that's a really good situation. Now you have a batting core of Bairstow, Clark, Bant, and Duckett, which is a great starting point. Uh, and then you have a top-class leggy, which I think is really helpful. Then they pick up their overseas in the round five to seven range, like I kind of wanted them to. Uh, in round five, they've got David Miller. I think it's fine as a middle-order option. He's a left-hander, more of a finisher, can play in the lower middle-order. Probably wouldn't have been my top choice, but I 100% get why they did it. Very experienced. I think that makes sense. Uh, the pick I'm more excited about, round seven, they get their overseas seamer in Nassim Shah. Love it. I actually picked Nassim Shah for the Birmingham Phoenix in my What I Would Do mock draft recently. I think there is no doubt in my mind Nassim Shah is going to be an elite T20 player at some point. He's not quite there yet, but I think he will be. And I think the fact that he's not even in the Pakistan T20 side means he will probably have good availability and you could be getting a player on the cusp of a breakthrough. Much like with how Birmingham Phoenix got Shaheen just before he broke through, just he might actually turn up. It's so exciting, isn't it? If he hits the ground running, they're in for a treat and you have no idea how good this guy is going to get in years to come. I definitely see him developing into a Shaheen level bowler in years to come. I really do think he has that potential. He's already so good and he's already so young. So he's going to get a lot better. I think that's a really good pickup. 60k is excellent value for a guy who is probably going to be available for most of the comp. And it's just very, very good. Fair play to them. That's a great pick. Yeah, I, I love it. I mean, I might have waited on David Miller. What I'd have probably done is second Jordan Thompson in round five and gone round back in round nine um, for my middle order player, maybe an Azam Khan. But look, I'm not going to complain because I think they've done really well. At their final two picks, round nine, they've gone for Sam Hain of Warwickshire. Round 13, they've gone for Jacob Bethel, the really young and talented left-hander from Warwickshire as well. Bethel, I think, is a high upside pick. I get why I've done that. Sam Hain, I'm less hot on. We're not hugely hot on Sam Hain. I know he's got a better T20 record of late. I think that I think his stats are inflated by very good innings. So, yeah, I'm not as big a fan, but I, I get why they've done it. Um, and I think Bethel's a high upside pick. I do wish they'd have gone in for another Seema um, instead of Sam Hain. Maybe even going for Roller van der Merwe just to add some balance to the side so they don't have to play Critchley at seven. But again, I, I don't think it's a, a terrible outcome for them at all. I think given with what they started with, this is a very good draft. You can quibble on some minor points. You know, you can literally any team in the world, right? At the end of the day, there's a lot of personal preference involved in that. However, you look at what they've got there and you look at what they had last season and what they got this season is objectively better by quite a way. So... You know, what looked like a very hard job, I think they've pulled off pretty darn well. Yeah, and I think I would give them an A. Maybe an A minus or an A. I think an A is fair, given their starting point for this draft. I think they really attacked it very well. I'd give it an A plus if they'd have picked up Gus Atkinson. Maybe they're going for the wildcard draft because there's plenty of Seamers going to be in the wildcard draft. Atkinson, Curry, Pennington, Brown. Maybe it turns out well. I'd like to see them go Gus Atkinson and maybe... Let's go lower on the middle order overseas. But I think I think it's very hard to criticise this because I think it's a 
a really good job. And I think the Welsh Fire are going to look a very strong team. I don't know if they'll be massive title contenders, but I think this is probably a two-year rebuild from where they're starting from. So I think they can be contending this year and in years to come be very formidable. Manchester Originals pick up Andre Russell first overall with their third pick. Charlie, I think this is the pick we wanted the London Spirit to make. And it's really exciting for the Manchester Originals. I think he fits perfectly. And by the way, the women's side also picked up Deandra Dottin. So it's going to be pretty exciting watching the Originals play this summer. That's a great pair to have. That's so good for them. I'm amazed that Russell fell that far in the draft, to be honest. I know it's only three picks in, but why he didn't go first is beyond me, really. It's a, a real boost for Originals. Getting him first is brilliant. With Manchester, you know, it's a tough place to score runs in general I think as a batting line you have to attack the power play which the originals will do with Sultan Butler and you have to attack the death which you'll also do with Russell now uh, and some other players they've retained like Overton and Lamaby who can do that I think on a surface where runs can be hard to come by maybe some of the second and third seamers who aren't quite the highest quality having to bowl to Russell could be really really dangerous so I love this pickup I think it's a marquee signing and I think his availability will be better as well which I love also in the 125k bracket Laurie Evans gets the bag we move Evans Hyde I was shocked Laurie Evans got this much money I think it's I'm I'm very happy for him I think it's I I don't necessarily have any big quibbles with the pick but I was surprised he went this high I guess it's probably because Tom Cola Canmore ended up in round one and there weren't many other top domestic options, really. So I absolutely get this pick. I'm not surprised at all, to be honest. I think he's a very good player of spin. He's played a lot in uh, in Asian leagues and done pretty well out there. He's very experienced T20 operator. His recent record has been very good as well. Big Bash in particular, he did very well for the pair of scorchers. It makes sense to them, honestly. I think he'll suit Old Trafford particularly well. I think he'll slide at three or four and do a very good job for them. I don't think they've got you, what you say, more classical players in that middle order. They've got uh, Lamanby, who's obviously very aggressive, and you want him slightly lower down. You've got Ackerman and Madsen, but you'd say only one of them is probably going to play at once. Mm. Maybe Ackerman because of his uh, right arm off option. So I think they wanted a player like that to come in the middle order and be a good player of spin in a more traditional style. And Evans is your guider. So it makes perfect sense. Yeah, and I think the Manchester Originals, as we'll talk about, are fit perfectly for their home conditions. They've got that gun domestic attack. They'll attack the power play. They've got those middle-order players like Ackerman, Nevins, who can play well in the middle-overs and rotate the striker, and then they've got Russell at the end. And then, of course, round three, why not go even further in? Hey, you've got Calvin Harrison. He played well this year. But what about Wanindu Hasaranga in round three? <laughs> Oh, they're really playing to the old Trafford thing, and you have to respect it. He's not going to have great availability this year, but I think given the amount of leg spinners that you can find in the in the undrafted overseas player pool, bring him in, getting him in for two games, him probably taking like seven wickets, and then coming back for twenty twenty three. I I love this signing, especially given the batting depth he adds. I really back it. I, I know that the availability isn't going to be great. I really know that. But if you can lock in a player for his quality for the long-term future, potentially, I think you should do it, especially 100K as well. You know, I thought if he's, a, if he's got full availability, he's going earlier than that. To get him where he did is pretty good value. And look, he isn't going to play. It's fine. You've got Kevin Harrison to come through. Who, you know, I'm not saying he's the same quality by any means, but he's a leg spinner who can bat. 
So it's more or less a straight swap. You can go in and get someone else in the wildcard draft. I just think it's clever. Fair play. Really good pick. Round five and round seven, they're going for Seamers. They don't have any Seamers in the side. Ollie Robinson is not really a great T20 player. Fred Class has struggled at times last year, but I get why they kept him around. So they need to get two Seamers. They get Dan Worrell, who, by the way, is uh, down as a domestic player. He's got a UK passport. He's in round five. And then Sean Abbott, the Australian all-rounder and Seamer in round seven. I think the Worrell pick surprised people, but I'll tell you why they've done it, Charlie. It's because, as we said, you've got to attack the power play uh, when you play uh, Old Trafford. And in Dan Worrell, you have a power play gun who swings it all over the shop early doors, which I think kind of makes sense. I do get it. I do think certainly five K is a lot for a guy who is necessarily nailed on to play for the Adelaide Strikers every week. That is maybe a concern for me. Um, But, you know, he had a short last spell last season at Gloucestershire and didn't really do much of note either he didn't take that many wickets he was swinging it around a lot but didn't really excel particularly if I remember correctly so I do think it's a bit of a stretch but given the relative lack of seamers out there I kind of get it I suppose I'll tell you why I get it I think it's an indication of the overseas and domestic seam pool that was out there the worst thing that the originals could have done was reached for a seamer in round one they need to fill them. So in round five and round seven, they get them. Who are you taking other than Dan Worrell? I don't know. Do you really think at this stage, Pat Brown's going to be doing a better job than he is? I don't know. So at least he has a niche and, you know, he's played in the big bash, a big league, and he's got something about him that fits your style. I get it. Sean Abbott also probably wouldn't be my first pick, but I like Sean Abbott. I think he's an experienced campaigner. He's done a lot of good things in the Big Bash. He adds batting depth as well. I think you just have a good, a good player to have around the team. The worst possible thing they could have done was reached on Seamus. This is where the value was, and I don't necessarily think that I'd have gone Worrell and Abbott necessarily, but I think I get why they did it, and I think they do fit well. Worrell as that gun hopefully gun power play player who swings it around and Sean Abbott's a really clever player who depends a lot on slower balls on the surface so I I get why they've done it it's not marquee it might seem a bit of a surprise certainly not perfect but I do get why they've gone down this route yeah I can understand it I don't love it but given the situation I can understand that's all I have to say (laughs) it's weird it is weird, but I, I think it makes more sense when you talk it through yourself. I think in this Manchester Originals draft, I'm probably giving it a B plus, A minus. I, I think they've done a good job. I think to get Russell and Hasaranga, Evans might be a reach, but I see why I did it. And I think they took the value with the Seamers. So I think that kind of range makes sense for them. And hey, if there's no rain in Manchester this summer, they're probably going to win three or four games. Um, let's move on to the Northern Superchargers, who with the fourth overall pick in the draft brought in the champion himself, DJ Bravo, DJ Bravo, champion. Sorry, I I won't keep going. Um, But they brought in DJ Bravo. It's a weird pick, isn't it, Charlie? It's a really weird pick. I just said the worst thing the originals could have done was to reach on a seamer. And then the Northern Superchargers go and reach on a seamer. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Look, I am very fond of Dwayne Bravo. We all are. I, of course. Uh, I still think he has a lot to offer as a deaf option. I still think he does pretty well there. Is he a 125k player at 38? I don't think he is. I think you could have waited on him for a bit longer. Hmm. 
Or I think what you could have done is just gone for the best bowler available. One gun seamer rather than going for two overseas defibrators who are at the back end of their career, as they have done here with Dwayne Bravo and Wahab Riaz, who they drafted at 75k. I would have probably gone Jai Richardson straight away, 125k, because I think he's just the best seamer available in the draft. And I think he covers their bases but better, to be honest with you. So that would have been my play. I get that. I mean, look, we love DJ Bravo, and he, he is going to do a Northern Supercharger song, hopefully. And that, for me, would really add some good vibes. And look, any any team that is based at Yorkshire needs some good vibes, and DJ Bravo is going to do that at the very least. I, I'd have tested the water with Tom Banton. I think that would have been a play, and I tested the water. He might have been right to match for the Welsh Fire. He would have been right to match for the Welsh Fire, but I'd have tested the waters with that. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I... <laughs> I think it's a little bit of a reach, personally. In a draft full of reaches, I think this is a bit of a reach. And look, you probably needed one really gun overseas seamer. You definitely didn't need two. So if you get DJ Bravo, fine, I get it. He's a good death bowler. They do not have that in Cars and William Potts. What you don't need is two aging seamers. I don't get the Wahab Riaz pick in the slightest. I just, I, I don't get it. We, we, we love Wahab, but his time has gone. I agree. It feels like a massive overcorrection. They've gone, what did we struggle with last year? Death bowling. What should we do? Buy two death bowlers. And not just that, but two very old, creaking <laughs> death bowlers who are both at the wrong end of their career. And like, I'm very fond of them, both, but their prime, they've both been very good. But do you need both? Absolutely not. Once you lock in DJ Bravo, I'm looking elsewhere for that overseas pick. Now. I'm not going for another death bowler. And certainly not Wahab Riaz. No offence to Wahab Riaz. I love him, but he's not the player he was anymore. And I think that's clear to see. Get one, not both, would be my thought. If you yep. lock in DJ Bravo, get an overseas spinner would be my point. So I'm very happy to see DJ Bravo there. But, you know, I also think that it's going to restrict the development of Matthew Potts and Brian Cars Because you're really going to play... F- you're really going to play, I don't think you're going to play all four of Willie, Potts, Bravo, and Riaz every game. And I think Potts is a good player. I really do think Brian Cars could develop into something. It feels like you are not really giving that domestic, those two potentially really good domestic talents in Potts and Cars the opportunity to flourish. I think it's a mistake. I'd have gone for a spinner. Uh, moving down, Adam Hose in round seven. They needed to add some da- depth to the batting order. Uh, a guy who, you know, when Stokes isn't around, can kind of bounce up and down the order. I think it makes sense. Yeah, again, you look at that and you think that's a lot for Adam Hose, but he's quite a versatile option. He's experienced. He started against spin, which is pretty important. Um, given that they really struggled that last season with the Bald Brothers opening partnership. So having him in there does make some sense. Yeah, I mean, at least we don't have the, um, the Lynn and Lye partnership again. That that really just didn't work out. And I mm. think Hose will hopefully prevent a little bit of that if he's playing. Although I don't know if he will play regularly, to be honest with you. I think he's probably just there when Stokes is not around. I'm cool with that pick. Uh, instead of the Bull Brothers, we're going to have the Creaky Cousins, DJ Bravo. Uh, <laughs> Not quite as catchy, but I like it. <laughs> uh, later down in round 11, they get Roloff and Demerva. I, I, I think Roloff's a really class operator. I think he has a lot to offer. He adds batting depth. He bowls some good darts. Also, apparently, he's bowling wrist spin now. That's apparently very interesting, that's yeah. We haven't seen it, but we've heard it. 
So if he is actually bowling Rispin, that could be a really fun package. So I, I think Roloff was worth the draft pick this year. I think that makes sense. And then round 13, you get Luke Wright. I, I, I like that pick. I think Ms. Lythe was in poor form last year. So, you know, it gives you a backup opening option. I also think when Ben Stokes isn't there, maybe Faf drops to three. You could bring in Wright as well. It just gives you versatility and experience. And I think that makes sense. Overall, however, I'm not particularly a fan of this Northern Superchargers draft, to be honest. And probably on first glance, giving it a C minus, maybe. I don't want to yeah, fail anybody. I don't want to fail anybody yet. I should say, um, but I, I don't think you can fail them for bringing in DJ Bravo and Wahab Riaz. I'm not sure it's the best option, but I don't think you can fail them when actually I think the other three picks are pretty good. So maybe a CC plus, in fact. I think given the value they've got, mm, I'm just going to stick with a straight C here. My main issue with this team is that it's really old. Everyone yes. here, with the exception of maybe Brooke, Cast, Potts. And Parkinson. It's a really old team. It is. I had not clocked that with domestic players as well, but Brian Cast is older than you think as well. Yeah, he is. And you're, you're looking at guys like Adam Blythe, Luke Wright, Van der Merwe, Simpson. I mean, Adam Hose isn't that young. He's been around for a little bit. He's, but, you know, Wahabriaz, Faf de Plessis, Dwayne Bravo. This is an old team. I don't know. I assume that was maybe something they were thinking of. Maybe they wanted some experience in there. I don't know, but I, I think it's the wrong way to go. I think they've choked a little bit. I, I think they've downgraded their squad from last season, if I'm being brutally honest. Yeah, I think Wahab will be a one-year rental, so they'll probably come in for a younger guy next year. But yeah, uh, I will say, I think Roloff will probably pay, play cricket for another 10 years. I think he's a Gareth Batty kind of thing. So so I get that. But yeah, I do think it's an old sign. They need to watch out for that. The Oval Invincibles. They write to match Sun on the Rhine um, from the London Spirit. I think that just makes sense for them, doesn't it, Charlie? Because Sun on the Rhine is just a gun. You know he's got full availability. He's going to offer a little bit with the bat. He's going to offer something with the bat. But the main thing is 20 deliveries of high-class stuff and can bowl across the innings. Just incredibly, incredibly valuable. It was inevitable, wasn't it? It was absolutely inevitable. There was hardly ever any doubt that this wasn't going to happen. It just ticks a lot of boxes for them, really. I expected nothing less from them. Good pick. Yeah, and that's the only real high draft pick they have. I don't have another pick until round seven because they've got Roy, Billings, Tom Curr, and Will Jack, second mood, already locked in. That's the joy of the Oval Invincibles. They didn't, because they have such a great domestic core, they didn't have many spots up top and they could take the value. So I lost on the right. And then in round seven, I quite like the Raleigh Rousseau pickup. I think that's the most obvious selection to kind of go towards Oval Invincibles possible. We know that Crickviz uh, are big fans uh, of Riley Rousseau, and, and rightly so. Uh, and Crickviz have a connection to the Oval Invincibles. He's, he's a good player. He actually, I think they did pick him up originally in 2019, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, they did. Yeah, as, as a domestic player at that point, he was still a callback. Yeah, and I think, I think it just makes sense. He had an aggressive left-handed option. Um, and I think, I think that's nice to have, because if you look through their lineup, they don't really have a... You have Sam Curran, it depends how much you'll play, but you don't really have a proper, more of a batter with, as a left-handed option. You've got Narayan and Curran, but they're more aggressive all-rounders. And I don't think Rory Burns is probably going to offer the strike rate you want in that role. So I think getting Riley Rousseau makes sense. Uh, then in round nine, they get Danny Briggs. I think it's nice to add a point of difference to their attack. You've got Son on the Ryan, who's great. You've got Nathan Sowers with the leggy. Now you get a good left-arm spinner, who I think adds a lot of difference. So I like that. I think the contentious pick is probably round 10. 
I think we both thought they would go for an overseas leg spinner. I think instead they've gone for the opposite of an overseas leg spinner in Hilton Cartwright. I don't know what I don't know what it is about Hilton Cartwright that makes him say he's the opposite of an overseas leg spinner, but I think somehow he is. I know what you mean. I was definitely expecting maybe Sandeep Lavachane to come in here, uh, or perhaps one of the no base price guys coming in a little bit later, maybe like a Nora Ahmad potentially. Yeah. Um, Hilton Cartwright, I was not expecting at all. Uh, I spent a lot of time browsing the draft list, the player list, to see who I thought might be in a shot. And I'll be honest with you, Hilton Cartwright did not really enter my mind at any point during that. Mm-hmm. He's a good player. He's improved in recent years in the, the Big Bash. He's had a couple of good seasons there. But yeah, it's a weird one, isn't it? It's. I think we, if any team was going to pull out some rogue stuff with their overseas picks, it was going to be over was based on the fact that they had basically all of their top half of the draft mm-hmm. board filled in. So they were, they were going to play something funky. I was probably expecting, if it was going to be a middle-order guy, an Azam Khan or yeah. a Rajapaksa over Cartwright. But I, I'm curious. It's what intrigues me quite a lot. Um, I'm, I'm, the jury's out, I think. Yeah, I think with Rousseau and Cartwright, you get full availability. So that's what they're doing with their overseas. They've got three guys with full availability. You'll look at... Um, Cartwright stats, and you'll see a guy whose strike rate is about 125 and think, okay, no, I'm out. However, that is Hilton Cartwright up to 2019. Before 2019, he never struck at more than 130 in his career. Since then, he's had two seasons striking about 144, pretty much identical stuff, averaging about 30. Great big bash this year, 360 runs, uh, 42 boundaries and 13 innings, averaging 32, striking about 145. I think this is better if you contextualize the last two years. So I get where they're coming from. Is it the guy that I'd have maybe gone for? I'd have probably gone for a spinner. However, I think our criticism of the Overland Invincibles last year, if we remember, was that they didn't really have the batting depth to play the aggressive style of cricket they were playing. So I think actually this might be a better selection than people would think. So the jury's slightly out, but I think personally, if you contextualize it, it makes sense. Uh, final two picks, round 11, you get Matt Milnes. You know, they've got a stacked domestic seam attack, so he's not going to have to play. But I think he show, he's shown a little bit of quality, I think. He's shown some promise. I think you bring him in, you develop him. Potentially quite a good backup option if he needs to play. Maybe Sakib goes on test duty, which is hopefully very likely, uh, as might Sam Curran. I think he probably needed to invest in a good backup seamless. That makes sense for me. And then Jack Leaning in round 12. Uh, I think it's quite tough to have an opinion on Jack Leaning, personally. <laughs> I know what you mean about Jack Leaning. He is a solid player. And I think he's a good pick here just because I feel like he is a useful kind of utility player to have, I think, mm. in the middle order. He can, you know, fairly solid option there and he's pretty decent spinner as well. Uh, he can offer you a couple of overs here or there maybe if you want to. But yeah, he's not the most exciting pick in the world, I'll be honest with you. And, you know, no disrespect to Jack Lindy himself, I'm sure he's a very lovely guy and a solid player, but he doesn't scream sexy as a cricket player necessarily. But yeah, a solid pick as a backup option. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the, the Oval's draft, isn't it? It doesn't scream sexy, but it's going to do a good job, I think. I think every selection I look at, I think they all make sense. I think, you know, you look at the Milnes thing, you think Safford's going to be aware, okay, it's worth investing in that. Yeah, I personally think it's not sexy enough to be like, oh, wow, they've done a brilliant job, great draft. But I think actually when we look back at it, we'll think this was very canny and very good picks. So, yeah, not sexy, 
but a strong, strong B plus A minus, which will probably probably turn into a slightly better grade as we go on. Um, so yeah, I, that's how I feel about it. Yeah, A minus for me as well, just because there's nothing wrong. Everything they've done is like, yeah, makes sense. Fair makes enough. Sense. Nothing particularly outstanding or exciting, but I guess that just speaks volumes to their recruitment originally, really. You know, they didn't have to do anything exciting to have a good team. Yeah, the best franchise is a drama-free franchise on draft there. Trend Rockets, this should be a relatively quick one. They've only got four picks. They tried to get Tom Banton with a sixth overall pick. He was right to match by the Welsh Fire. So they went and got Tom Cola Campbell. They said before the draft, Charlie, they were going to attack uh, domestic players early on. It seems like a lot for Tom Cola Campbell to be the sixth overall pick. I think I personally thought they'd go for David Warner because that just felt like their vibe. Like, it just that just felt like the kind of player they'd go after. To their credit, they didn't. They went in, they got their domestic gun. And uh, yeah, Tom Cullicadmiral, I think it's a nice option as well because he offers a right-hand option, a good player of spin. He's a bit of a point of difference in that middle order. I think he will slot in and play straight away, in my mind. Yeah, I think he'll definitely start. I think he'll probably bat number four, perhaps. I yeah. imagine that the opening pair will be Hales and Colin Munro, who they signed in round five, they waited on, which I think was the correct move. I would much mm. rather have gone for Munro and Cola Cadmore than gone Warner up top and got a slightly worse domestic player there. I think that was the correct decision. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's the thing, is what, what they needed was intent, I think. That's what they needed. Last year, they were dodgy. I mean, that was Darcy really Short were. just being in really bad form. And bless Darcy, he's just, he's just not having a good time of it. He'll come out of it the other side, but he wasn't having a good time of it. Hales was playing in a more reserved way, which I didn't love. I, I, I'm really surprised the Trent Rockets weren't more like Nottinghamshire. Like, you, you watch Nottinghamshire play, they're, they're not reserved, they're not stodgy. Clark and Hales go out there and smash Worcestershire around whatever they, whenever they fancy. So... Yeah, I think a bit of intent from Cole Camor and Colin Monroe makes sense. So I think you go Hales, Monroe, Milan, Cole Camor, and then you've got the experience of Patel and Mulaney, et cetera, et cetera. Also, Cole Camor can keep, so you don't, you're not forced into playing Tom Moore, so I think it's a good player, but it gives you another keeping option, so you're not having to change your side around too much. And I think Colin Monroe makes sense as well. So then we go to Ian Cobain in round six. Really happy for Ian. I think he deserved a payday. He's been in good form. He's, had a, he's developed into a quite, a, quite, a really, quite a good player in the last couple of years in T20 cricket. I think we were both a little surprised the Welsh Fire let him go, maybe. Um, but no, I, I think he's a, he's a nice player and he deserves this payday. And I think whilst he might not be getting into the side straight away, he does add quality depth and again, some versatility. I imagine he will, he will play when Root's away. Uh, and I imagine he might play if they give Cola Cab all the gloves. I think that would make sense if he comes in the middle order there. That would be a role that would suit him quite nicely, I think. I think he's a nice player. Been in very nice form recently. And a very nice bloke as well, I can say. We had him on a podcast uh, towards the end of last season. And he was an absolute delight to talk to. Do go and check out that podcast if you want to. Because I think it's a really interesting listen. I'm very happy for him. That's all I can say. Good player, good guy, good pick. Great bloke. And I don't think there are any particularly long walks that the train rockets can try and take him on pre-season. So <laughs> good for you, Ian, mate. Really happy for you. And then round 13, they come in. They needed another seamer. Yeah, however, they went about getting one. I think you've got Lewis Gregory, Martian Delanger, Luke Wood, and Sam Cook. Not awe-inspiring. What they probably needed was a banker at the death and a guy you know is going to do a job for you. 
Luke Fletcher is that man. I think if you called up Luke Fletcher and asked him to do any DIY, he would come in and do the job. And that's what he's going to do for your cricket team. If you ask him to come in in a certain situation, it's not going to be splashy. It's going to be pretty sexy, to be fair. But he's going to do a job for you. He is. I think he's a good Yorker bowler, I have to say. I know Yorker bowlers aren't particularly fashionable these days, but he does land a good Yorker at the death. It's, it's a dying arm, but he does it well. So fair play. Get him in there. Was he necessarily the best overall seamer available? I don't know if he was at that point. However, if you want someone who can be a banker at the death, I guess he was probably your option. Plus, there's a knots connection as well. He knows how to bowl on Trembridge. So fair play. I get it. I think in the nicest possible way, my comparison to him is my dad. Bold, physically imposing and dependable. Those are the three things you want in, not necessarily a dad, but but the point, the point is he'll do a job for them. And I think it makes sense. Overall, I quite like this draft. I think, you know, they'd have probably wanted Banton or Clark. Obviously that wasn't going to happen. So I like what they did. In general, I think they've done a pretty good job. They, they might struggle a little bit this year, given Rashid Khan's not going to be there. But in general, I think they added a decent amount of talent in a correct way. Nothing too splashy, but I think they did a good job. Yeah, I agree. It's a solid job. They had a good core already. They've built on it appropriately. They're not a flashy side by any means. They're a no-nonsense side. But when you're as good as no-nonsense cricket as these players are, why not? I guess it makes sense. They've got a very good coach. They've got a very good squad. So, yeah, fair play. They've done their job well. The Trend Rockets are going to be the Trend Rockets. They're going to be good, whether we like it or not. And I think I think a lot of their picks make sense. So B plus for me, I think, is probably the way I'd look at it. Um, yeah, me too. The Birmingham Phoenix. Woo. Okay, okay. So I think the first thing to say here is that we've been saying all draft process, that the thing they'd want most in the seventh overall pick is a domestic opener. Now, the ideal situation would be Tom Banton. The, the, the second most ideal situation would be Tom Cola Cadmore. Neither were there. So, you need a keeper, you need a top order option. Ideally, that top order option would be a left-handed option. Cola Cadmore and Banton would have offered that keeping ability. They didn't have that, so they went with Matthew Wade. I don't, I, I, I don't hate it. I just wonder if there was better value to be had somewhere else. Primarily for me, that would have been Jai Richardson. 100%. You look at last season, the steam attack was their biggest issue. I think if you get Jai Richardson, he's a gun in the power play. He's a gun at the death. And he's trained for your batting depth as well. Yeah, I think that was the key area they had to improve. He was available. He went undrafted as well, which baffles mm. me. I think you could have got him there, especially knowing that you could have waited on Matthew Wade if you really wanted him. He had a 50k reserve price. You yeah, could have I waited think, so much longer. I think I think Matthew Wade would probably have not gone before your third pick. That would be my turn. I I don't think he'd have gone before your third pick. Now I I think Matthew Wade offers something. He's he's I think he's a good player, and I don't think they'll be disappointed to have him. I'm just not sure it would have been the shot that I'd have taken. So, yeah, I get the Matthew Wade selection. And we might say, hey, look, the seam attack was a the thing they needed to fix. Charlie Richardson would have done that. But don't worry, Charlie. They fixed it anyway by drafting at 100K Ollie Stone. <laughs> <laughs> if, if 
Ollie Stone is not injured, and that's a big if. I love Ollie Stone. If he's not injured, he might be a feasible second seamer. However, I do worry that if there was a slight gust of wind to come across Edgebaston at the wrong time, Ollie Stone might not play all tournament. And I love Ollie Stone. We both have Ollie Stone. We'd love him to play Test cricket more. It just, I'm not sure this is the play to fix your seam attack. Not at that price, certainly. I think he has a lot of upside. His T20 record isn't amazing, but when you buy as quick as he does, you're always going to be dangerous. But, and this is a big but, Ollie Stone barely never plays cricket anymore no. because Ollie Stone is always injured. That's a lot of money for a guy who might not make the field at any point. Look, if it pays off, brilliant. Well done. Great for them. They can retain this guy for a long time. But with his injury record, it just doesn't seem like great value. And it, I don't think he'd have been my, my guy to fix this issue at all. I don't think he's dependable enough. I just don't. And look, Ollie Stone is a decent T20 bowler, but he's not a guy you think, oh, if he wasn't injured, I'd spend 100 k on him. If he wasn't injured, I might be looking at him as a mid-round option. And this is the thing, right? You see this in drafts across the world, specifically in the NFL draft. A team will have a massive need that needs to be fixed. And they'll think, right, this is our first, second, third pick, whatever. We're going to pick it no matter what. We're going to pick this position. We're going to fix it. But, but that's not necessarily how it works. You have to go and get the value. And I really don't think Ollie Stone was the value. I also think, and we're going to skip a player here and go down to round nine, they went in for Matthew Fisher. I'm also not completely convinced he fixes this seam issue because now you're thinking about this. Okay, who's going to be our second seamer? Last year is Pat Brown, Dylan Pennington, and Tom Helm. Not ideal, especially given Pat Brown's been in bad form. Do you really look at it and think Ollie Stone, who's always injured, and Matt Fisher, who was released by the Northern Superchargers last year, is going to fix that? I really don't think so. Fisher's another guy who basically fulfills the exact same criteria as Stone for me and that he's a guy who bowls quick but doesn't have a great T20 record and is often injured I feel like you're just doubling down on the exact same issue he's also not that quick I, I know I know he's playing test cricket and everyone everyone wants to do the, the full Graham Swan Jake Ball situation yeah mate you look at him he's steaming in at 90 we'll need five slips <laughs> he's not that quick he's quick enough but he's not electric and his T20 no. record isn't good there's a reason he's available so yeah I, I'm just not sure that they fixed this. And I think this is the thing, that they had a problem with their side, and that problem was the seam position, the second seamer, and they haven't fixed it. But that's a problem. I guess in round seven, by going Kane Richardson as their third overseas, they might be giving themselves a decent bowling attack. But on the assumption that the reason they've picked Richardson is that Adam Milne, who they recently retained, is now not going to be available as much because the West Indies New Zealand series... Is Richardson and Stone and really the kind of options you want? Let's just assume for a moment that Wokes doesn't play Test cricket. You've got Wokes, you've got Richardson, you've got Stone. It, it just, for me, it just still doesn't quite work. It feels kind of fantasy cricket a little bit here in that it might be a nice idea on paper, but I don't actually see it happening in real life. I just can't see most of these guys are ever taking the field together. You know, especially taking into account they've got Henry Brooks already retained as well. He's another guy who is quick, but is often injured. Mm. We're repeating the same issue over and over again. There's a lot of seamers here, all with more or less the exact same issue. Why do we need Stone and Fisher and Brooks when chances are only one of them is probably ever going to play at once, if at all? 
You know, it seems like quite a big risk to take that doesn't actually fix the issue at hand. I don't get it. And what's worse, I think, is that it really compounds another issue in the fact that they haven't signed an overseas leg spinner. They might pick one up as their backup overseas. That might be an option, but we don't know that yet. They've got Moe and they've got Liam, two part-timers. They haven't got another spinner. So if you look at what their 11's likely to be, the bowling attack, and let's just say you've got Moe and Livingston already there, on a potentially good day, that's going to be Moe and Liam in the top six. And then at seven, you've got Benny Howell, Chris Wokes at eight, one of Milne and Richardson at nine, Ollie Stone or Matthew Fisher at 10, or maybe even both, because I'm not completely convinced that they want Graham Van Buren, their final pick of the draft, to be their one spinner. It seems unlikely. Graham Van Buren is a perfectly decent part-time operator, but at Gloucestershire, he uses an all-rounder. He's a kind of middle-lower-order batter who can chip in a few overs here and there. He's not a front-line operator, I don't think. He's useful backup, but he's by no means your frontline spinner. You look at his economy rate, it's very good. It's under seven. Fair play. But that's largely in drips and drabs and he bowls a couple of overs here and a couple of overs there. You look at the other spinners that teams have drafted and look at Graham Van Buren and I, I don't know. I, it, it's, it's a weird pick. I like Graham Van Buren quite a lot. I think he's a nice player, but he's not a frontline spinner in the hundred. And I'll tell you what I think frustrates me is I think you can look at the economy rate all day long and think, okay, great. Where is that economy rate coming from? It's coming from a lot of overs playing in the South African T20 competitions. Not a great standard. There's some good, there's one really good year in 2020, 12 wickets in 11 games, 33 overs, economy rate of 6.8. That's great. Last year, he bowled seven overs in four games and went at 10 and over. The year before that in 2019, his economy rate was nine. Uh, after bowling, he averaged two overs a game. Uh, in the t- 2018 T20 Blast, he only bowled 10 overs in four games, barely bowled in 2017, but he played in 2017. I think this is a false economy rate. I think it's being backed by certain conditions, one good tournament, and lots of time playing in provincial CSA cricket. I, I, think, it's a, I think it's an illusion. Now, I really don't think that a part, another part-timer can be the situation. What confuses me more is that they could have had Dan Moriarty. So why wasn't that the option? Why wasn't that the option? I don't get it. I can't help but wonder if they had a spinner in mind and it didn't fall to them. Because I don't look at this Birmingham Phoenix draft and think, yes, this was what they planned. I just can't believe that they finished this draft without a frontline spinner. That, to me, does not make sense. I don't believe for a second that that was the plan. It just doesn't add up to me, and it's a glaring hole in an otherwise pretty decent team. Yeah, and I, I think this is the thing we must remember, is the Birmingham Phoenix are really good. They've got a great side. You, you look at the team they're going to put out on opening day, Wade, Smead, Moe, and Livingston, Tom Abel, Chris Benjamin, Benny Howell, Chris Wokes, Adam Milne, Ollie Stone, whoever it is. It's a really good team. And I think one team was probably going to be screwed over at some point by the player pool in the situation. I think they probably have been. The fact they had to build that domestic seam attack in a situation where there weren't many good domestic seamers. I get why it's a situation that they ended up in. However, I just don't think they got the correct value here. I think if they'd have gone for a good leg spinner, maybe again, maybe they'll pick one up as the fourth overseas. I don't think that's quite how they've gone. If they'd gone for a leg spinner and found a good leg spinner, whether that's Imran Tahir, whoever that is, Nor Ahmad, Adam Zamba, you know, there's, there's loads of options. Whoever it would have been, 
maybe that they come in for Richardson instead. Suddenly you've got attack of Moe and Livingston, Howell, Wokes, Milne, Legspinner, Stone. That looks much better because you don't have to depend on Stone so much. You can use him as an enforcer. That's the route I've gone down. So look, the Birmingham Phoenix are going to be a really good side. I still think they'll be a really good side, but they entered this draft needing to fix one big problem that they probably couldn't do. They tried to do it, and I think they probably failed, which is a shame. Um, not a big fan of this draft, but I do, I do like the Matthew Wade pick. I think it makes sense. I just don't love that the way they've attacked the rest of it, and I don't think the, the board fell well for them. It might look a lot better when they bring in a wildcard player and a wildcard overseas. That might improve it, and they've got a great team already. So, you know, maybe they can afford a couple of swings. I just don't think this quite went to plan. I agree. I still think they've got a lot of good players there. I still think they're going to be a highly competitive team. The draft did not go well for them, in my opinion. And I think the biggest issue is that the wildcard drafts really should be a who is the best value here pick. That's what it should be for. Instead, they find themselves in a position where they need to draft a need there. They need a spinner. It's going to have to be who is the best spinner available. And that's a dangerous game to play. So that goes well, fair play. If it doesn't, they're in big trouble. A lot rides on that for me. Let's move on to the Southern Brave. We knew what the first pick was going to be. It was going to be Quinton de Kock. Who was it that tried to write to Matt? Who was it that tried to take uh, Quinton de Kock and then... Uh, wait a second, I know it was the Trent Rockets. Yeah. Let's move on to the Southern Brave. Surprise, surprise, their first pick was Quinton de Kock. They write to matched him after the uh, Trent Rockets tried to go get him. You know, they were always going to do that. They're always going to do that. Uh, to be honest, I think if I was a London Spirit, I might have tried to pick him anyway, just for the fun of it. Quinton Scott makes a lot of sense. He adds intent, a left-handed top-order option. I think at the Aegeus Bowl, where he's a good keeper, he can run hard between the wickets, he scores quickly. Makes perfect sense. Doesn't merit much dis- discussion, in my opinion. And then they only really had three other picks, and um, they were pretty low down. Round nine, they took Rehan Ahmad. Now, Rayhan has never played a professional T20 game. That is, that is potentially scary when you're paying someone £50,000. However, he's got huge upside. And I think the thing is, Charlie, when you have a full side like the Brave do, a complete side, you can probably take a swing on Rayhan. And maybe he's the kind of player that some other teams wanted to take a shot on. I think he might have been. I think he may well have been. And I can only assume that's why they went so early for him because they had an inkling that somebody else won. I think that would make sense. Look, mm. look, it's a lot of money to pay someone who hasn't played a full professional T20 game before. But I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think when you look at the squad they've got, they can afford to take a punt on a potential flyer like Ahmed. And I also think that We've seen last year in 100, guys who had barely played much came through and did incredibly well. I made names to himself. Will Smead, Chris Benjamin are two examples of guys who came through. They played a little bit, but not much. So I don't think it's implausible that he come through as well. And even Jake Lintot, I know, you know, he had played some professional cricket before, but not a great deal. He was very much a journeyman pro at that point. Really had a big breakthrough season there for Southern Brave. It's just a wildcard pick. Don't think people were expecting him to play or do nearly as well as he did, but he was phenomenal. He was excellent, and he's now the lead spinner. So there's definitely a place for players to do that. Bree forgot history of taking these kind of punts. I guess George Garton was a little bit punty as well. Obviously, he played mm. a little bit more when they signed him back in 2019. But, you know, he hadn't got a particularly great T20 track record. He had barely played the last couple of years. He struggled with injury. And look at what he did for them last season. And, you know, now he's one of the highest earners in an England player. So 
I think there's definitely a previous track record for these kind of signings going very well. And given Rahan Ahmed's incredible skill, I, I think that's entirely plausible that he's the next one. So, yeah, I'm on board. They've earned the right with their team building to take a swing. I think it's got huge upside. It could be very, very good for them. So I like that pick. And then the final two picks of the draft, they get Joe Weatherly, who's a good middle-order option. I think adds a point of potential difference. He sweeps those quicks really, really nicely, which is fun. I think he adds a nice backup option for the middle order and can kind of operate from you know four to six, which is good for them, I think, in case Alex Davies maybe doesn't pop in that role just quite as much this year. Makes sense. And then the final pick of the draft, hashtag our king, hashtag 100 podcast favorite, hashtag friend of the show. We never talked to him, but we want to. Daniel Moriarty in the 100, baby. Here we go. I was so frustrated he wasn't picked up in the wildcard draft last year. The reason he didn't go higher, I think, is because he doesn't have the, the phase flexibility of a Briggs or Dawson. But I think when you, I think if you're looking for a spinner to come off the bench in certain circumstances, I really like this pick. Yeah, 100%. He's very reliable. He's only pretty young. He's got upside. He's going to get better. I think if he develops some more flexibility, even better. But for now, he is a very solid backup spinner. Oh, he might play. You never know. He might play a little bit. But I feel like their seam attack is so strong that they're probably only going to stick with a one spinner. You'd think and that's going to be Lintop, Rahan Ahmed, and Moriarty might sub in for more spin-friendly tracks, for example, or Trafford away. But on the whole, I think he is good backup. And it'll be a great learning experience for him, I think. I'm sure he'll come away with a much better player. The Southern Brave haven't drafted a player who's going to play for them. Quinton de Kock was already there. They're right to match. It doesn't count. All they had to do is pick three players who are going to be backups. Nothing has changed. They're running it back with the exact same team. And what they've done is they've got a good depth middle order option, a good second spinner, which would have been a problem given Briggs and Dawson aren't going to be there anymore and they couldn't retain them. So they've got that fixed in Moriarty and then they've taken a high upside swing. It just makes sense to me. I think a lot of what the Brave have done makes sense. As a big shout to Mahela Joe Warner, who's, a, who's a, I think a very good coach. I think in general to the whole staff of the Southern Brave who've done you know, a very good job. I think, I think they came into this draft in a really good position. I think they've come out of it with A, not having to do much work, which is perfect, and B, having taken the right swings. So I think it makes sense, and I like their draft, even though, to be honest, it's tough to grade it because they have done absolutely no work whatsoever, really, to add to their starting eleven. So there we are. That uh, is our review of the 100 draft. That's our initial review. That's us recording it like a mere hours before, after things have come out. We'll have a lot more stuff coming up we're going to hopefully have some cool interviews with some interesting people who can kind of give some more insight into this we'll hopefully catch up with some players some analysts down the line hear a little bit more about what they're thinking ahead of the tournament but for now on our post 100 draft review edition of the 100 podcast thank you very much for listening check out all of our content at podcast 100 on twitter and we'll see you soon